Hello, and welcome to Unhedged, a candid discussion of markets and mechanisms. I am your host, Frank Trois, a 25-year-plus veteran of the markets, both bull and bear. Joining me on the show are market participants ranging from hedge funds to fintech, and as diverse and eclectic a group as winemakers and priests. All of us, like you, asking the same question we all do when we turn on the TV nowadays. Why? Unhedged is a weekly podcast and on occasion a bi-weekly podcast based on the subject matter. You can subscribe to Unhedged through iTunes. As always, your feedback is appreciated, both good and bad. So let's get started. Today's broadcast is brought to you today by Oracle. Oracle helps customers develop roadmaps, migrate to the cloud, and take advantage of emerging technologies from any point. These include new cloud deployments, on-prem environments, and hybrid implementations. Oracle's approach makes it easy for companies to get started in the cloud and even easier to expand as business grows. For more information, go to sohocap.com unhedged, and we can provide free cloud credits to our listeners. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's segment of Unhedged. I'm your host, Frank Trois, and as always, a pleasure to be with you here today. Considered an honor and a privilege to have Amit Poe from the UK here with us today. Amit, welcome aboard. Glad to have you. Frank, it's great to um, be on show in wintry, snowy London. You kidding? What is the weather like today there? It looks like the beasts of East has arrived, and where we are is about four or five inches of snow. You're kidding me. Did you have any of the, uh, did any of the effects of this polar weather in the States, did that hit the UK as well? No, it's surprising that we've had an incredibly mild winter so far. And in the last couple of days, it's turned cold. And last night, the snow has just come down. It's a beautiful scene outside our office. Oh, gosh, you're making me jealous. I, I think the last time I saw snow like that was probably about four or five years ago. Yeah, well, listen, um, uh, it's a shame we're not on, on, on video. It looks like a, a Christmas, um, Christmas card outside at the moment. <laughs> Wonderful. Rub salt in my wounds. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, most people in London would rather have the heat in Singapore. That's true. That's true. And you guys have certainly had a fair amount of heat. I mean, what, what, what's your take on all this Brexit stuff that's going on? Uh, there's, there's no doubt what's been happening with Brexit is an absolute disaster for the UK you know, at multiple levels. But, but, but if we just talk about political, my, you, you know, the, the citizens voted for Brexit. You then have the parliament who is voting to do everything against its way to support democracy. And then you've got leaders, the, the, the prime minister, to lose a key vote by 230. is the largest defeat the prime minister's ever had. That's unprecedented. <coughs> And then to add to that, the leader of the opposition, 80% of his members of parliament would rather have another leader. So the UK is in absolutely constitutional crisis. What does that mean? You know, if we just look at snapshots, uh, five of the American banks have moved $760 billion of assets outside the UK. Uh, Yesterday, Barclays Bank, which is predominantly a a UK-US bank now, very, very well run, announced that they're about to move 160 billion pounds of assets 
from the UK to Dublin. So what, what, as the reality starts to settle in, that there will be a, a Brexit. Not sure what form of Brexit is, but the, there will be a Brexit. You are seeing businesses taking the appropriate actions to um, buffer themselves and ring from themselves from a regulation point of view and to continue doing trade in the EU. I mean, let me ask you, though, I, I, along those lines, the from an ignorant American perspective, at, you know, to your point, on the one hand, there's the the the, old, the ultimate date where where it would be a hard Brexit and pretty ugly, and then you know maybe they come up with something in the interim, uh, which creates a softer Brexit. Is is there any chance that they would do another referendum and just stop this whole thing full stop? Uh, Frank, that's a great question. It's unlikely. There, there is a, a major call for a second referendum. And the reason why I think it's unlikely, there are a no, number of obstacles to be overcome. Firstly, the time to do a referendum. In order for that to happen, the UK would need to trigger an extension to Article 50. Personally, I think the EU would be open to an extension of Article 50 from a timeline perspective to have a, a smoother transition. So, But that's an obstacle that needs to be overcome. But the second one is that in May, there's going to be an EU election. So for the UK to have a second referendum, that needs to mirror into the you know EU election period and then one year of a new president settling in. So could I imagine 18 months of hiatus? Unlikely, because that triggers a whole set of other negotiations like how much will the UK contribute, labour movement, et cetera, et cetera. And I think the final one, um, and I'm not making any personal commentary on Brexit or not, I'm just trying to give you a flavour, is that if you have a second referendum and, we, we, you know, the referendum says we're going to remain, you know, if I was a Brexiteer, I'd feel pretty hard done and I'd like a third referendum. And it ends up referendum-itis, frankly. So now I think mm-hmm. it's unlikely, you know, it, at this moment it's clear that the UK will have a Brexit. What we don't know is, is it going to be a hard Brexit or will it be a softer, as you refer to? Unbelievable. And, and is the sense there that businesses have prepared for this or is, it, or is there still a sense that some of them are just in a state of shock and haven't gotten out of there fast <coughs> enough? Well, look, I think we need to put that in. The large corporates are clearly have the resources, the manpower to prepare without a, you know, and you, you're starting to see the preparation. Jobs are starting to move. We talked about the capital outflow from the UK. For mid, smaller size companies, that's harder for them to have the resources to, to do that level of planning, one. And two, if you're an SME, would you really set up international subsidiaries elsewhere? Question mark. What I would say on the positive side, you know, if we talk about the tech industry, the UK, after initial shock, the UK tech industry is going from strength to strength. Well, that continues is another thing. You know, the, if I give you a flavor from an investment perspective, 2017-18 has been phenomenal. The UK in 17 attracted just under $3 billion in new funding. That was double from 2016. <clears throat> 2018, the UK received $1 billion investment into te- early-stage tech companies for the first time ever. Uh, you know, and you know, if we put that into context, just London, forget the rest of the UK, that London has had four times larger investment from the US 
than Germany, France, and other European countries combined. So there is still a strong inflow of capital, which clearly fuels opportunities. And that's reflected. Is, is, do, do you, oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I was just saying that's reflected by Improbable doing a, a half a billion fundraise. But, but so it's short-term looking still strong. How, how um, you know, to your point on the startup community, what, what, what kind of effect is this going to have? Because years ago, the assumption was that, you know, you could, you could establish a beachhead in the UK and basically passport across uh, the EU. How does this now de- derail that and change that? No, what was it? so for the EU for passporting from a finance perspective, it fundamentally changes it. So all of the fintechs, which will be predominantly um, applicable to, will have to apply for passporting requirements and or actually change headquarters from the UK to other countries, European countries. And so for the, these other countries, then, this has been an absolute boon for them. Oh, absolutely. You know, the, uh, intriguingly, there's not been one winner, which is probably good news because um, at one stage, when it's Brexit, the referendum vote, voted for a Brexit. Everybody was saying Frankfurt was going to be the winner. But actually, there's just not enough people in, in Frankfurt to cater for the jobs in the city. So Frankfurt's had a, been a winner, Amsterdam, Malta, Luxembourg, Amsterdam, Dublin. And, you know, I suppose that's healthy because it's spreading the risk. And a lot of it is also then dependent upon the incentives that the particular countries are providing those um, entities as they enter as well. Interesting. And and do you, do you feel that it, has this just been a function of um, uh, just changing domiciles or, or has this actually impacted certain sectors as well? <clears throat> too early to tell. I think at the moment it's, it's changing um, the domicile, Frank. What I would say, there is a lot of um, negative commentary saying Brexit's going to slow down the economy, it's going to have a disastrous effect. There's a couple of things, you know, if we look at the tech sector, which m- may actually work in the UK's favour, Brexit. One is um, the EU Competition Commission, a, a lady by the name of Margaret Vestergaard, a fantastic Danish woman, is single-handedly going around looking to break up the FANG cartel. Hmm. Um, with, with all of the uh, anti-commission um, competition campaigns against Google, Facebook, and others to follow. That presents a fantastic opportunity because if I'm a American tech giant, where would you drive your innovation? You probably want to go into a regime that is pro-America um, versus the EU. So that could present some fantastic opportunities. There is some speculation but, but I think it will come through, that if, especially if there's a hard Brexit, that the UK will end up doing some very, very aggressive tax schemes and also knowledge-intensive programs that could establish the UK very similar to Tel Aviv and Israel as, as, a, as a global tech hub. And, you know, Singapore, where, where your base, has done a fantastic job establishing itself for talent pool and, and financial services in Asia. You could see a very, very aggressive um, set of policies from the UK government, ironically, to attract more talent into the UK because it's a more friendlier business to do and tax-friendly as well. 
That's interesting. So to your point relative to, to some of the legal challenges that are there for, for using the FANG stocks as a point of reference, that uh, we could see a dividing line here very quickly in terms of, of maybe near term, the EU is a beneficiary of some of these companies moving from, from the UK, but at the same time, there actually might be a perverse benefit for the UK in terms of some of the incentives that they can now uh, provide back to these companies. Is that correct? Oh, absolutely. Without that out. And I, and I think a, a couple of other things, what we're seeing is that, that, you know, some of the bastions of UK industry, for example, legal in general, has actually invested in October last year, not far away, £360 million into creating a science tech platform, which will create 20,000 jobs. So there, all of a sudden, could you have a mini ecosystem that will start flourishing? One. The second one, and and I'm going to make a slightly politically incorrect comment, is that it's not just Brexit. We've seen that in America with uh, Donald Trump, the anti-immigration vote. What will happen, is my view, is that the tech industry will force the UK government to allow qualified immigrants into the UK because, you know, in in our industry, we need talent and talent is the fuel. Uh, And and this is slightly out of date, 18 months, but if we took at 52% of Fortune 100 CEOs were first generation or second generation immigrants, if we take N8 of the top 10 startups that came out of the valley, guess what? They, 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 they are first or second generation immigrants. You could imagine that I'm slightly biased because I was born in Kenya with a British passport holder. So you could say I'm Kenyan, spent 20 years working in America. Uh, so I value my British heritage, my Indian heritage and American heritage. But immigration is fantastic. You know, immigration creates wealth. And, you know, if the UK embraces attracting really qualified STEM visas, you could see a new skill set entering into the UK and and a skill set that's not being welcomed in other jurisdictions. It's kind of ironic, given that some of the core tenants of Brexit were, were, were some of that refugee pushback. So you're saying, in fact, that, that longer term, that the irony here might be the actual re- reverse. Is that correct? Am I understanding Yeah, right? well, absolutely. Now, the elites, which I, I don't want to be viewed as an elite, will turn around and say that actually what we're having is a select level of immigration. Those are very, very high skill set. And this was a quote that was used to me. The EU asked me to do at the um, at the EU Assembly a presentation Q4 2017 on can the Europe create another Silicon Valley? And one of my comments mm. to them was just be pro immigration. And you could hear um, pin drop silence. And a couple of the the ministers in the audience said, "Well, I mean, don't you realise there's such a backlash?" And one of the ministers from the Republic of Ireland said, well, Hamid, we really like what you're saying. And um, what we really want is the right type of immigrants like you, which I chuckled Mm. and chuckled. And I put on stage saying that technically I'm not an immigrant. I was born as a British passport holder. So, but that shows the stereotypical. So absolutely, I think you will see a reverse phenomenon. And that reverse phenomenon will be an inflow of highly, highly talented um, immigrants with the right skill sets in STEM. 
That's fantastic. And Amit, why don't we do this? Um, if you don't mind, I'd like to continue this conversation. Um, if we could take just a short break, would that be okay? Absolutely. Perfect. And for our listeners, stay tuned. We'll be right back with Ahmed and continue our discussion with Brexit. And more importantly, we'll, we'll slowly and methodically dovetail this into some of the specifics regarding what does this mean for the startup community, not only in the UK, but in the rest of Europe. We'll be right back. Today's broadcast is brought to you today by Oracle. Oracle helps customers develop roadmaps, migrate to the cloud, and take advantage of emerging technologies from any point. These include new cloud deployments, on-prem environments, and hybrid implementations. Oracle's approach makes it easy for companies to get started in the cloud and even easier to expand as business grows. For more information, go to sohocap.com slash unhedged, and we can provide free cloud credits to our listeners. <laughs> 